Well, welcome back to our final week in our sermon series, How Not to Be a Disciple. Um, when you come to church, normally you expect to come here and hear some good advice from a speaker, and you might take that good advice and apply it to your life. Uh, but throughout the series, we're doing something different. Um, today, I'm going to give you some bad advice, and you're going to learn how to stay far, far away from it instead of applying it to your life. Sound good? So I'd like to start off this message by telling you a story about a man named John Stephen Akwari. Akwari was a marathon runner from Tanzania, and he was pretty good at it. Uh, he was good enough to be able to compete in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. And he trained and trained for this race to the day that it started. Um, and he got to Mexico City and he started the race. And a couple kilometers in, he started to have a problem. Because of the thin air and the high altitude in Mexico City, um, his legs began to cramp up. But like a good runner, he began to keep running anyways. And then halfway through the race, uh, there was some jockeying for position, and I don't exactly know what happens, but uh, one of the other runners shoved him, and Akwari took a fall, and he scraped up his knee badly, and he also dislocated his shoulder. And you think as far as a marathon runner goes, you know, he knows he's not going to win at this point um, with an injury like this. You might expect him then to just drop out, um, but he kept going anyways. And eventually the race began to end and the first contestants crossed the finish line, uh, but there was no sign of Akwari. The sun began to set and there was still no sign of Akwari. Eventually, an hour and a half after the first place person finished, um, Akwari entered the stadium against all odds and he was greeted by a small crowd and he crossed the finish line. Um, this was called the greatest last place finish in all of history. Um, and reporters afterwards, they, they interviewed him and said, hey, you, you had all these bad things happen to you, you got a bad injury, uh, why didn't you just drop out? And this is what he said. My country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me to finish it. I think it's easy for us to admire the determination of this man, to see how he didn't just drop out at the first sign of difficulty, but he had the courage to finish the race. In the Bible, we talk about the, the terminology of finishing the race um, and running a race like we're following Jesus. The life of a Christian is like running a race. And I'm sure you've probably been familiar of this imagery before and you've understood this. Um, I know there's times in my own life where my legs are feeling fresh following Jesus, and I'm running around no problem, fist bumping, praising God for everything that he's done for me. Um, but I bet you're also like me where there's been times where the race of following Jesus has been hard, where you're stressed out or battling temptation every day, and it's a difficult race to follow. Um, but there are many people here today who have many different backgrounds and God has done many great things in your life, including working faith in your heart. And for that, God be praised. Praise God for working faith in your heart. But God didn't work faith in your heart just so that you can start the race. He's concerned that you finish the race. He doesn't want you to drop out when things get hard. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about the importance of finishing the race. 
and figuring out how do we get that determination? How do we get that strength to finish the race even when things are all against us? Um, we're going to look at the disciple Peter and find out how in his race of following Jesus, how he took quite the injury as well. Um, but that leads to our first point of the day. For how not to be a disciple, drop out. Drop out. I have no better advice for you of how not to be a disciple than to simply drop out. Make up some excuse about how following Jesus is too hard or too difficult. Um, tell yourself that uh, you don't need to actually go to church because you're good with God all by yourself. Um, do whatever it takes. Come up with some excuse. Tell yourself it's too hard and drop out of the race. This would be the easiest thing to do. This is something that Satan would love for you to do. But that's what the message I have for you is so important today. We're going to look at Peter. We're going to hear about how he, f how he ran in his race. Um, there are times in Peter's life where his legs felt really good and he felt like he could run faster than anybody else. But eventually we're going to see how he took an injury as well and how it, was ju it wasn't just important for him to start the race, but he needed to finish it. So we're going to look at that injury right now. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. So Jesus predicted that Peter would deny Jesus. But Peter said, I don't care if all the other disciples deny you and betray you. I never will. But I think you know how this story goes. That when Jesus was put on trial, when Peter that night was in the courtroom and warming his hands around a fire, he was pressed by a girl, the same age as a girl who would go to this middle school. Um, he denied following Jesus. He denied him three times. And right when he did that, that's when Jesus was brought out and looked at Peter in the eyes. And that's when Peter knew that he failed. Peter had a big injury now. And Jesus went to the cross and he rose from the dead. And Peter, he hadn't had the time to be able to talk to Jesus personally since then. So since that day, Peter had been carrying around this guilt. So now Jesus needed to address that. After Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus takes the time to physically talk to Peter to address that injury, that guilt that he's been carried around. And the conversation that starts like this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. So if you remember from last week, um, there was that story of breakfast with Jesus where the disciples were out fishing and there was that miraculous catch of fish. Um, but then they got to shore and Jesus was already cooking fish by a hot coal fire before they even caught any. Um, but have you ever noticed in life how a distinctive smell can bring back a memory? Maybe you smell the the stench of a locker room, and that reminds you of your glory days in high school of when you were a high school athlete. 
Maybe a certain type of perfume reminds you of a first date that you went on. What do you think the smell of a hot coal fire, what memory came back in Peter's mind? Do you think he possibly thought about the time when he was denying Jesus? So Peter, he had this memory in mind, and that's when this conversation happens. And at first glance, it's kind of a strange conversation. Jesus asks him about his commitment. He asks, do you love me more than these? And then Peter responds by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But did you notice how he kind of conveniently leaves out that phrase, more than these? Jesus asks, do you love me more than all the other disciples? And Peter says, yeah, I, I love you. But he's been humbled at this point. Before he was daring and would say, I would never fall away, even if the rest of the disciples do. Um, but now he learned his lesson. He's not going to brag about having a love better than all the rest of the disciples. And then Jesus asked Peter the same question again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Okay, so it happened a second time. And then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Peter denied Jesus three times before, and now Jesus asks Peter this question three times, and Peter gets it. He's hurt. He's hurt that he asks do you love me three times? Because it reminds him of the three times that he denied Jesus. But Jesus needed to address this issue. This was a difficult conversation for Peter to have, but Jesus needed to reinstate him as a leader of the church. He told him three times over, feed my sheep, watch over my lambs. Because Peter, he was guilty, and he was carrying around this guilt. But he couldn't drop out of the race. Jesus chose him to be a leader of the church, and in doing this conversation, um, he led Peter to forgive his sins and to reestablish him as a leader in the church. Um, this last week, I was looking on Facebook, and I saw a story about a tattoo parlor in Baltimore, Maryland. And on the outside, it looks like an average tattoo parlor, um, but on the inside, they offer a unique service. A while ago, they put up an ad saying, if anyone um, has a gang-related or racist tattoo, they can come to this tattoo shop and they will cover it up free of charge. So think about that. Imagine you are this man, and at one point in your life, you got a swastika tattooed on the back of your head. You made a bad decision, but now this man had a change of heart and he wanted to live a good life without all the racism and all that, and, but now he can't. Imagine what that'd be like. Imagine trying to raise a family with this tattoo on the back of your head. Imagine trying to get a real job with this tattoo. I don't even think you could get hired as a driver at Domino's with this tattoo. <laughs> so this tattoo parlor, they took care of this. They changed this tattoo free of charge. And I, I watched the video, and there was another man who came in. And he had a tattoo that said white on one arm and power on the other arm. Pretty bad, right? 
So he made a mistake in the past and he'd been carrying around that mistake. Um, but now this tattoo parlor, they tattooed over it pictures of beautiful roses so that his mistakes in the past were gone. If you had a tattoo of your past mistakes tattooed on you, what would it look like? Maybe it'd be a whiskey bottle on one arm and the word drunkard on the other. Maybe you'd look down on your body and see the word dirty tattooed on you. Maybe you have the word gossip tattooed right on your cheek with an arrow pointing to your mouth. What would your tattoo look like? I think so many of us are guilty of this, where you commit sins in the past, and every single day you wake up and look in the mirror, and you label yourself with those labels, and you examine your tattoos, and that's how you identify yourself, as someone with a past mistake written all over you. What do you think Peter's tattoo would have looked like at this point in his life? Well, I think he would have had the term sinner written on one arm. I think he would have pride written on the other, and then maybe betrayal written in big capital letters right on his forehead. And throughout this conversation with Jesus, uh, Jesus comes up to him and he takes his arm and he says, hey, we're going to get rid of this. And he scrubs off the tattoo and instead of the word sinner, he tattoos over him the word forgiven. And he takes his other arm, the arm that says uh, pride, and he crosses it off and he writes the word disciple. Then he says, Peter, come here, come here. This might hurt a little bit. And he holds Peter and he looks him right in the face and he tattoos over the word betrayal and writes the word shepherd. He's getting rid of Peter's past mistakes and guilt and he's giving him a new purpose in life. And Jesus does the same for you as well. He sees all your past mistakes. He knows what they are, but he tattoos over them. He sees the word gossip written on your mouth, and he tattoos over it the word messenger. He sees the word dirty that you have over your body for all the things that you've done wrong, and he tattoos over it the word pure. And he sees that term sinner written in big capital letters right across your forehead, and he, with his own blood, tattoos over it the word forgiven. Jesus doesn't know your past mistakes. He doesn't look at them anymore because of his blood, the blood that he shed for you. He removes all of your guilt and sin forever. And just like Peter, how he removed his sin and now he gives him a new job of being a shepherd in the church, he does the same for us as well. He removes your guilt and he calls you to be his follower, his disciple. And now we're going to look at Peter, and we're going to see that his calling had some extra information with it. Um, this is what Peter's told him, or this is what Jesus told Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So Peter just decided to follow Jesus. He, he had this tough conversation and he, he got it. He reestablished his commitment to being a leader of the church. Um, but then Jesus drops this bomb on him. And I kind of think Peter must be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you got me to sign my name on the agreement, but you didn't really let me read all the fine print. Is this, is this true? I'm going to have to die for your name? 
And that's the thing with following Jesus. Jesus simply told him, follow me. As disciples of Jesus, he wants you to be wholly committed to him. He wants you to follow him no matter what. And that's hard. He told Peter that he's going to die for his name. Imagine if you were told that, that you were going to have to die for being a Christian. That would be so hard, so difficult. But that's the thing. We can't be halfway committed to following Jesus. Jesus wants us to be wholly committed to being his disciples. Which leads to point number two. Put conditions on following Jesus. Put conditions on following Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, I think it looks like this phrase right here. I'll follow Jesus as long as blank. If you had to fill in that blank, how would you fill it in? I'll follow Jesus as long as I don't have to change the way I live my life. I'll follow Jesus as long as God blesses me financially. I'll follow Jesus as long as my life is pretty good. I'll follow Jesus as long as I don't feel uncomfortable. I'll follow Jesus as long as the pastor is interesting. I'll follow Jesus as long as I feel like it. I'll follow Jesus as long as he protects my family and takes care of them the way that I tell him to. I'll follow Jesus as long as I stay healthy. I'll follow Jesus as long as it is easy. I think we're all guilty of putting something in that blank. Um, for my own life, um, so I'm a vicar, and God willing, next year around this time, I'll be assigned to be a pastor. I think I'm already guilty of filling in this blank saying, I'll be excited to follow Jesus as long as I get excited or I get sent to a city that's interesting and I can see myself one day living there for a long time and raising a family there. I'll follow Jesus as long as I'm in a church where I can lead and preach and teach the way that I want to. And just like that, I'm guilty of putting conditions on following Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want you to put conditions on him. Jesus doesn't want you to say, I'll follow you as long as whatever it is. So my encouragement for you is sometime throughout this week, take time to ask yourself this question. Take time to think about what you would put in that blank and pray about it and try and get rid of those conditions that you have in following Jesus. Peter was told that he would be put to death for the name of Christ. Now let's see how he responds to that. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So evidently, Peter and Jesus, they kind of walked away from the rest of the disciples while they were having this conversation. And while they walked away, um, the disciple John that's who this passage is talking about, kind of followed them behind. And Peter gets this bombshell dropped on him that he's going to die for the name of Jesus. And Peter's first reaction is to kind of turn around and be like, yeah, but what about him? Is, is this going to be one of those things that like all of us are going to have to do or is this just kind of just a, a thing for me? And Jesus responds and says, what's it matter to you? If I want John to live forever, that's none of your business you need to focus on Peter, and you are going to die for my name. You follow me. 
And in the next passage, um, right away, you can see that this uh, was misinterpreted by the disciples. The rumor began to spread around that John was going to live forever. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, what's it matter to you if John lives forever? You follow me. Peter needed to deny himself and be a leader of the church. Um, But how is this possible? How is it possible to deny yourself, to follow Jesus no matter what, to live in a culture that's anti-Christian and to be a Christian in it? How is this possible? How do we get that strength? Well, for Peter, he had to carry around this information that he was going to die for the name of Jesus, but he still was a leader in the church. And later on in Peter's life, he wrote a letter called the book of 1 Peter that we have in the Bible, and he wrote it to encourage other Christians and other shepherds of the church to follow Jesus. And this is what he says. Be shepherds of God's flocks. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So Peter knows that it's hard to be a follower of Jesus. It's hard to run that race. But he says, if you keep running, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Please, to point number three. Forget about the crown. When you're running, forget about the reward. Um, I don't think I could honestly say at this point in my life, I don't think I could label myself as a runner. Uh, there was a point in my life where I could have labeled myself that. A couple of years ago, I could have said that. But right now, um, I just don't think that's fair. Um, and throughout my life, uh, I've ran in, I think, about three races competitively, a couple 5Ks. And the interesting thing, I've ran in three races. And in all three of the races, towards the end of it, I had these thoughts in my head. Why are you doing this? I hate this. <laughs> Drop out. You need to be done. Why are you doing this? Um, but... I also had the other side of things where I knew that when I'm done, I could be done. I could get to that finish line and then I'd be done and that gave me the motivation to keep running. And I think the motivation is the same for all runners. That if you just focus on the side ache, on the cramps, on the dislocated shoulder, um, and just look at the pain, it makes for a very hard race. But when you have the finish line in mind, when you have the crown, the reward that you will receive in your mind, That makes running a whole lot easier. And that's true for all marathon runners. Think of all the great things that they could do because they had their focus on the finish line and on the reward. And the same is true for followers of Jesus as well. If you're completely focused on the pain, if you're completely focused on the hardships you have in following Jesus, that'll make it pretty hard. But if you focus on the finish line, if you focus on the crown that will be placed on your head when you finish, that makes things a whole lot easier. In the ancient Olympic Games, when uh, an athlete would win, they would have a crown made out of an olive wreath with olive leaves on it placed on their head. That would show that they're the champion, they're the one that has victory. Um, But there's a problem with that. They had that honor and glory for a while, but since it was made out of olive leaves, it shriveled up, it decayed. But here, in the Bible, Peter tells us that we will receive a crown that will never fade away. 
a crown that you will wear forever. The pain during the race is momentary, but the crown that we have will last forever. And this was Peter's motivation. Uh, Tradition says that in 68 AD, um, Peter died for his faith. Uh, Peter was told to stop preaching Jesus, but he didn't listen, and for that, he was sentenced to be crucified. But Peter didn't want to die the same way that Jesus died, so he asked to be crucified upside down. And Peter, calm and collected, walked to his death, was crucified upside down, and finished the race. But when he finished the race, Jesus put a crown on his head that I think he's probably still wearing to this very day. That was the motivation for Peter. That was the crown that he needed. And that's our motivation as well. We know that at times following Jesus, the race might be hard, but don't forget about the crown, the crown that you will wear. Don't forget about the crown. Don't forget about the crown of thorns that Jesus wore so that you could be given a crown of glory. When you know that you'll be given that crown of glory, that makes following Jesus that much easier. We have a great reward coming. That gives us the strength to live in a culture that is anti-Christian. That gives us the strength to keep following Jesus even when it's really hard. Because Jesus, he didn't call you to start the race. He called you to finish it. And the same God who died for you to give you the free gift of salvation is the same God who will keep you strong in the faith and will greet you at the finish line. Amen.